This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 284. And the quote of the day is more of a thought. Don't try to overhaul your life overnight. Instead, focus on making one small change at a time. Over time, those small changes will add up to big transformation. Don't give up. Listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. Hey, hey, how you doing? Nick Ruffini here, another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. Session 284, all the goods are on drummersresource.com or you can find it on your favorite podcast app on Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, all that fun stuff. They're all up there. You can check them all out for free, of course. Also, if you're not already, be sure to follow Drummer's Resource. We're on Instagram at Drummer's Resource, on Twitter at Drummer's R Source, uh, Facebook, of course, on at Drummer's Resource as well, facebook.com forward slash Drummer's Resource. So you can tune in there and you can also keep an eye on all new things that are happening with the podcast. And I'm going to get right into this interview. This is with Kendrick Scott. And for those of you who don't know about Kendrick or his work, number one, shame on you. But uh, number two, uh, he is he's a Berkeley graduate. So after that, he worked with the Jazz Crusaders, Pat Metheny. He's worked with Herbie Hancock, uh, Robert Glasper, all sorts of amazing musicians. And then he also leads his own group, Oracle. And the list of people who he's played with is, is very extensive. And, and I'll list them in the show notes. And... His approach to playing is something that really, really spoke to me. He has, and we get into it really deep, but he has four different elements of learning sort of the from the rudimentary, from like zero to one, and then how to get into really the musical side of things too. But first you have to learn the technique and be imaginative and then creative and then spiritual. And, and we get really deep into it. So it's a really interesting concept and, and he explains it very eloquently, a lot better than I can. So I don't want to waste any more of your time of me blabbing, but let's get into it with the one and only Kendrick Scott. Kendrick, my man, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate being here. Thanks for having me. I've been listening to the podcast for quite a long time. That that means the world to me. I really, I, it blows my mind every time I talk to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, I've, I've listened to the podcast or I listen to it all the time or whatever the case may be. I'm like, oh, that I, it just blows my mind. So thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Happy Fourth of July, sure. by the way. We're doing the this is this is true work, man. We're like we're it's holiday, it's the holiday, and we're working anyway. Yeah, let's <laughs> do it. Let's go for it. So I want to I want to build a little bit of context of of your career, where it started from. Uh, but I got to tell you, man. So I always do research on all my guests before I have them on. Um, I'm already familiar with your playing, but last, but I always do a little bit more research, you know, right before we, we go on. And last night I went down like just a rabbit hole of your playing and just like YouTube video after YouTube video was like finding all this stuff. So I want to talk, it was, I was blown away, but I want to talk about some of the stuff that you're, that's out there um, on YouTube. But first let's build a little bit of backstory. I know you're from Houston originally, right? Yes, originally in, from Houston, Texas. Grew up in the church playing. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I started out. My my mother uh, was a minister of music, and my father did sound, and my brother played the organ and piano. So I just came from that environment, and uh, 
while I was in that environment, I just saw some drums. And a guy by the name of Eric Porter <laughs> used to have his drum set, and it always looked so beautiful. And I wanted to <laughs> hit it so bad. And every now and then, he would let me go up there and hit it. And, you know, uh, that just turned out to be just uh, a real godsend for me, you know, to uh, to just see the drums every Sunday or every mm -hmm. few days when I was at church. So uh, that kind of got me started, just just being in that environment in church and, and figuring out uh, and feeling what it meant that the instruments were more than just instrument. They were used for a purpose mm -hmm. uh, inside of the worship service. And, uh, and I still feel that same way today when I'm playing, like no matter what style I'm playing, I feel like the intention behind like what the instruments do, you know right. what I mean? Right. When, when you're playing the instrument. So that's where I immediately, it impacted me. Uh, from from the start. So how old were you when you first started playing? Uh, at six years old, I was beating on stuff. My uh, <laughs> right. parent, my mom caught me in my uh, in my closet. I had a, a, a jack-o'-lantern, uh, the plastic joint, and I turned it over, and that was my snare. And then I had all of these uh, um, shoe boxes for for toms, and then I stole some records. The reason why she caught me is because she was looking for some records, I believe. I had the record set up like symbols. I had them uh. hanging, <laughs> and of course, <laughs> of course, one of them was broke. And then I was using the um, the uh, hangers, you know, like the the pant hangers, mm -hmm. that little uh, the stick that's that in little, there. Yeah, I used to use that for drumstick. <laughs> nice. So you know, after that, um, they got me a drum pad and kind of started me off. And then two years later, they got me a drum set at eight, and I just started beating on the drum set. Um, Pretty hardcore, you know. Yeah. But I was never, I was never good or anything. But I was just, it started pretty early. It amazes me what we'll do to be able to play. Like I, like you telling the story of having this plastic jack o' lantern and chew boxes and records. Like I remember starting playing, and I, I had a kick drum. That's all I had, and I literally yeah. used a snare as a chair or a chair as a snare. I used the rim of the kick drum as the ride symbol. You know, right. it's like, well, you'll do whatever you have to do to sort of to sort of make it work. And that says something about the passion behind what you're trying to do. You're like, I don't necessarily need a ten thousand dollar, you know, top of the line DW kit with all these. You're like, man, I just want to play and make noise out of something. And then when you see an amazing player behind, like you'll see, you know, you'll see Steve Jordan walk into like, you know, some random drum shop and there's a crappy drum set in there and he plays it and it sounds amazing. Yeah, of course. You know, of it's course, like, man. yeah, that's the total inspiration, man. You know, when I see that, I'm always like, Oh man, there's a deeper level. <laughs> yeah. There's always a deeper level to it where it's like, it's all inside of the person, you know, of course. I always talk about how the person is the instrument, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And not the, not the actual, uh, drums. <clears throat> I feel like there's always, not always, but a lot of times there's a disconnect between I'm, I play drums versus I play musically and with a purpose. And and I think bridging that bridging that gap between those two is really hard. I think that if you're if you if you don't come from the like for you, and not that I'm saying that you had an advantage, but I think that you were always thinking I'm playing with a purpose. Because you, like you said, you're playing worship music. You're 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 already coming from the point of view that that music, um, or that that you're playing to to say something to to have a purpose. But if you, I think, if you just start out just playing, and then later on somebody's like, "Well, you have to be 
sort of making a statement with what you're playing. You're like, oh, great. How do, how do I start to do that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's, I've never thought of it in that way uh, because I've always connected it, you know what I mean, right. to, to something. So, yeah, that's very interesting, you know, when I'm, when I'm um, sharing with other people uh, kind of what I've learned so far as, as far as playing the drums, I, I, I tell people it's like really uh, cathartic and great to just start a journal out and in the first page of the journal, write down why am I doing this? You know what I mean? And for me, it's the first page says, I want to be an instrument of peace. It's the, uh, the prayer of St. John, uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. And it's the prayer starts, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. And then it reads down. And then there are so many uh, parts of that prayer that I want to embody while I'm playing the drums and away from the drums. So it's more of like a life principle that I'm trying to um, uh, achieve even by being here on this podcast to spread the message about uh, intention, living with intention and playing with intention. Mm-hmm. I think I'm being an instrument in that way as well as playing the drums. So, right. you know, it's it's funny because kind of when I sit down and think about playing drums, it's it's really daunting because I really don't believe that much in my ability to play drums. <laughs> I believe in my ability to relay messages and uh, get at a deeper uh, meaning of what it is to play music. I think that's one of my strengths. Hmm. And um, uh, so I, I almost always slant anything that <laughs> when people talk about my drums, I'm mostly talking about like, well, this was meant to convey this message or right. it was meant like, you know, my the the goal, one of the goals of my playing is if I can make everybody else sound good, then I would sound okay. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. I've just always learned about that just throughout my playing. And um, that's just been a, a really strong basis for me to start with right. as far as just uh, getting to a place where knowing, I know I'm contributing to the, the sound of the band as a whole and not just myself. Right. It's like that line between the drummer and the, the musician, you know, thinking like a composer and all that sure. stuff. So is there how do you know if you're if you're fulfilling that? If you're if you are the instrument of peace that you're that you're trying to to be? Is there a way that you're looking at your playing and you're saying, Oh man, maybe I was I was serving my ego a little bit too much on that or maybe, you know, I wasn't letting the other people speak as much as I should or is there a way sure. that you sort of evaluate that? Sure. Um, I kind of have a, a process of, of, of a way of practicing that I kind of work on. And there are four different principles inside of it. Um, uh, the whole thing is called command and surrender. Mm-hmm. And um, so you first you start out with the command of getting your technical aspects of your instrument. Then number two, you work on your conceptual aspects. And number three, you work on your imagination. And number four, you work on the spiritual. So I think the spiritual is the last one because it's the hardest. Mm -hmm. I always thought that, you know, for me, I have like these two things that are like hindering me from uh, from really playing. And um, and the two things are my ego and my technical uh, my technical acumen on the instrument. Um, So, you know, I always talk about how if you think about conversation, like now we're talking and I speak and you speak. And you think about uh, the type of listening that we're doing. Mm -hmm. But if you really think about when we're playing music, we're listening simultaneously while we're playing, which is a whole different type of listening. Right. So the thing is, if if you're doing a simultaneous conversation, 
what kind of uh, distractions can you have at that time? You really can't have any distractions. So mm -hmm. when I'm playing and I'm listening to a bass player, I can't be thinking about what I'm playing on the drums. I have to know, like if I hit the middle of the snare drum, that's going to be dry. If I hit the edge, that's going to be wet. Mm -hmm. And all of the other 50 or something sounds that you can get out of a snare drum. And you kind of have to know those things. So then you quiet those needs. And then you quiet the dude who's in your ear that says, ooh, you're killing. Yeah, do that again. Do that again. That's killing. <laughs> and the other dude. That like, guy's in my ear like, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other dude. In a bad like, way, not a good suck. way. <laughs> <laughs> and the other dude's like, you suck, man. What are you doing? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the more and more you're listening to those things in your mind, it's like you're really not getting to that place of nirvana where you're like truly listening, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I think once you quiet those two things, and for me, when I achieve my best level of playing, if I think about something, I don't play it, which is like the hardest thing because sure. like as soon as somebody counts off a tune, you've already thought of everything you've ever practiced in that time signature <laughs> at that speed. <laughs> you're just like, oh, this would be dope. On the end of two, I'm going to start this fill. It's going to come out. And usually when it when I play it, it's terrible. Right. So it's uh, it's one of those things where it forces you to be in the moment. And it's a constant struggle. It's constant, constant, constant struggle. But the more and more I get to that space, the more and more I feel like I'm surrendering and I'm available to the music. And the more and more uh, I see people turning around and smiling at certain mm -hmm. points. Because I think, uh, you know, Making everybody else sound better is like like one of the hardest things to do. If you if you're a, if you're a dope drummer, you can sit in the practice room and sound dope forever to a click track or whatever. But what's going to happen when you get on stage and somebody's playing extra quiet? And are you going to go with them or are you just going to keep playing how you're playing? You sure. see what I mean? Yeah, it's, of course. How are you relating to the people you're playing with? So for me, I guess that feedback comes from. Uh, the feeling that the other musicians get when they play with me and if they call me back. <laughs> yeah. And also the audience members who come up and say, you know, I felt something from that. You know, that's like the best thing for me when, you know, because I'm uh, on top of all of this. I'm so self-deprecating and like, oh, I suck. You know what I mean? Of course. So yeah. when that gives me encouragement to know that at least one person was receiving something from the honesty in which we play. Uh, so those are the, the main things that I look uh, for, because I think um, sometimes you can get a false sense of like security and saying like, "Ooh, I was killing tonight. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, eh, you probably weren't. <laughs> Maybe not. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, I just look at the feedback from the musicians and the, the audience. So how do you silence those inner thoughts like the the self-deprecating the you you're the greatest drummer in the world you're the worst drummer in the world like how do you yeah. how do you silence those and how and was it a i'm guessing it's it's been a gradual process over your career of silencing them more and more and more it's almost like i i imagine it like a meditative state and in the beginning when you when you learn how to meditate it's really hard to concentrate but as you get into your practice for years you get really good at it yeah, I, I feel like like that state of nirvana is a total meditative state where you're where you're not listening to your mind. You're you're just kind of watching it. Mm -hmm. And because I can sit um, when I'm really deep into it, I can sit and like really watch my mind think about stuff to play. And it's really interesting because huh. it's like it's like oh man, you remember that lick you learned in 1998 when we were in <laughs> high school or whatever? It's just like. 
that would be dope right here. And I'm looking at it like, really? Are you really telling me to play this right now? You know what I mean? And uh, I think the situation is uh, situation is different. Like, if you're taking a drum solo, i maybe say go for it. Right. But most of the time, I'm not playing drum solos. And I, uh, and I don't really look for that. Uh, I look for, like, how can I relate to this music? How can I relate to the melody? Like, I'm just, I start with melody first. Like, am I relating to the melody of the song? Mm-hmm. Can people recognize the melody of the song with just me playing just the drums? Would you know what song that is? Right. You know what I mean? So right. I guess I I come from, like, again, the, the meditative space of what it means to be in church and feel what that feels like, where it's not just one instrument um, creating the mood. It's like the whole the whole atmosphere, what's going on, like um, praise and worship, what that means um, to to the person in the congregation and that feeling. That's what I'm trying to get to inside of playing the drums, a certain type of meditation. So, I mean, when I practice, um, I was actually, I had a lesson yesterday and I was telling the student to try to get in a meditative state while you practice. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I do that is just by like playing a ride cymbal um, for a long time, you know, I practice a lot of touch and, and stuff like that. So as I'm playing the ride symbol, I'm trying to get to the ride symbol to get to a place where it's resonating all in the same place. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a low hum. It doesn't have the high hum. It's not moving around. It just has that one true hum and all the strokes that I'm playing are even on it. And so when I get to that space and then like, I want to practice, say some, uh, some uh, triplets between my hand and my foot or some 16s between my hand and my foot. I try to keep the ride symbol at a meditative uh, volume and and try to hit it in the same place and trying to get to a space where it just seems really meditative. Mm-hmm. And that really is a practice in itself, I think. You know, um, I believe that when you... Um, when you're practicing in your practice room, it's it's you you are uh, getting yourself ready to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. But a- as you go into the world, you pretty much leave all the stuff that you practice in the practice room. You know what I mean? And then it becomes a musical. The meditation happens if you can quiet your mind right. on the stage, which is the hardest thing because there's so many factors that are happening on the stage. You know that it's it's hard to really get around those things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just try to a- attain that state of meditation in my practice um, to where it, it can um, be conveyed also on the stage, you know, in, in the way I'm touching the instrument, in the way I'm connecting with the instrument. Um, yeah. It, it sounds like the same approach as martial arts. It's not these big, grandiose movements. It's sort of slow, controlled uh, very mindful, very, um, very meditative for lack of a better word. Uh, and, and really hone and focusing in and and honing in on this one thing and saying, okay, I'm going to make this, this thing sound as perfect as I can get it and let my, but let my mind hear how that is because I'm guessing and correct me if I'm wrong. Once you get to that point in the practice room, when you're on the bandstand, you can sort of tell if it's not there. So maybe, you know, this is, this, the symbol is going up and, you know, the, the, the resonance is going up and down or the something doesn't see, oh, I got to get into that. I got to get back into that state again. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, a lot of times I'm just, I guess the, the things for me, the greatest things that happen in the practice room for me is when, when I ask, when I'm asking myself the right question, 
Mm-hmm. You know, is this sounding good? Is this too loud? Is this the intent that you want to leave uh, to give? Um, I always talk about projection when I when I teach lessons. I say, you know, if we think about projection as um, as a volume thing, but most of the time we're not thinking as as instrumentalists. We're not thinking of the instrument is actually if if you play trumpet, the instrument is actually in your mouth on your lips. But if you play drums, the the sound is coming up right to you in your ears. So your perception of the drums is actually pretty false when you think about it, because you're not in the audience listening sure. and hearing what it actually sounds like. So a lot of times, if you think you're playing soft, you're probably not. You know what I mean? Or you think <laughs> you're playing loud, you're probably not, because there's no, uh, there's no juxtaposition there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so for me in the practice room, it's just about, I, I really just try to practice in a binary way, just kind of soft and loud, slow and fast, mm-hmm. um, wet and dry, high and low. You know, right. I just think of all of those things because I, I, I believe that, um, you know, uh, simplicity really breeds complexity. And if you put all of those things together, then it, you have a really complex way of looking and, and dealing with music. But um, if you take all of those things and then you kind of erase the thought of them, and then just work on the spiritual plane, then you really start talking about, oh, okay, how can I make this music feel uplifting or suspended? It's like, oh, it, it would probably need to be more dry. I mean, mm-hmm. more wet. Okay. How can I make it feel more grounded or uh, really a lot of momentum? Well, it would probably need to be drier. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then I start relating those, those binary things to feelings and what those things feel like, you know? Sure. So... Those, those, those are like my things that I like really like to get into. So, of the four elements that you had mentioned, can you say mention those again? Uh, technical practice, conceptual practice, imaginative practice, and uh, spiritual practice. Are you saying that that you would work on all of them? Like, say I came to you and was like, "Hey, man, you know, I've been playing for a little while, but I gotta, I sort of don't have anything to like. I gotta still work on my technique a little bit. I got like conceptually, I'm not." you know, that good, not very imaginative, you know, haven't really gotten to the spiritual side. Would you suggest working on all of that together or separating it out and saying, really get the technical stuff down first? Yeah. And don't worry yeah, about I, the other stuff. I feel, I do feel it's a pyramid. Like the reason why I say technical first is because you can't do anything if you can't actually play the drum. <laughs> right, right. Right. And so, yeah, I, I usually just, I, I, what I like to do is a lot of people who come to me for lessons are only here for one lesson. So I give them this whole lesson and with all of that information, because I think if you think about those four things, you're not only thinking about being the drummer. Number one is thinking about what is the drums about? Number two is, Oh, what is music about? And what is my place in music? It's listening and analysis. That's number two. Number three is about developing your own sounds and your own um, way of relating to the instrument. That's aside from number one which is just reading out of the books mm-hmm. and everything, just kind of getting that relationship. So with number two and the three, you're starting to write in your journal and you're starting to write things down that you love and from the instrumentalists and people that you love and your influences. And then the spiritual side is saying that, okay, I've learned all of those things. Now let me throw them away and just play uh, in service of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's that's like a lifelong <laughs> Right. It's a lifelong thing that you would never really, uh, I'll never achieve, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's something tangible for me to, to, to look at and to say, okay, 
am I really getting deep into each one of those things? And for me, like they've all like been something that constantly um, drive me and uh, keep me going. So, I mean, I try to just start people at the, the technical first and just getting a sound, just touching the instrument is like one of the hardest things in the world for me um, just to like I was talking about projection, you know what I mean? It's like if you really think about touching the snare drum and only making the snares vibrate and then let that be your unaccented notes and then your accident notes, let them make the whole snare vibrate, the both heads and the snares. And uh, just thinking about that binary system, like, okay, unaccented and accented notes. That's pretty <laughs> hard in itself. If you apply that to everything that you've ever played, Yeah. Uh, you know, it's that, you know, that I guess that's the way I think it's more of like a thought process on how to get to the instrument mm-hmm. that's more based in, um, uh, in real life. You right. know what I mean? Because if you look at those principles, they're uh, they they have some musicality in them. But it's it's really if you think of the technical, it's like you're getting up every day, you're learning. Okay, maybe I should have put a coat on. It's cold. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, right. Uh, conceptual is more like, oh, okay, I'm gonna put on this cool coat. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got because you. I know this cat did that and this cat did that, and then you know, then it's like, oh, I'm gonna make my own coat. Imaginative. <laughs> <laughs> And then the spiritual side is like, oh, I'm going to give my coat to this person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because sure. this person doesn't have a coat. Um, so, um, you know, it's just I, I just try to give those four out. I think that's very important, too, because I, I think a lot of drummers and a lot of instrumentalists, we stop on number one so much. We mm-hmm. stop on the technical and we get so dope technically and then just have no relationship to what what's your concept on music. It, I look right. at all of my you know, favorite people. And I say, wow, they have a huge um, and varied concept to the way of playing music. And they've listened and analyzed their favorite cat. And they're also imaginative and they're also spiritual in their playing. Mm -hmm. So um, that I think leads to a body of work more than it does just being a drummer. You know what I mean? So if you look at that, I'm I'm always like telling cats, if you want to be out here, really think about being an artist and not a drummer. And I think those those last three are the ones that most of the artists have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like the this idea of, you know, taking these four concepts and they seem to get blurrier as you get close, as you go into like number three or number four. Cause in the beginning for the technical, it's like practice paradiddles at a hundred BPMs. It's like very like it's in a box and you can sort of figure that out. And then as sure. you get into like, you know, the conceptual, imaginative, spiritual, I think the lines start to get a little more blurred. And and I think that's where the the breakdown happens for a lot of people. Would you agree where they're like, I don't know how to like practice concepts. I don't know how to be imaginative with my playing. You know, I know I can look at a book and I can run through exercise one through 33. And if I can play all that, then I know that I've completed I, I can check that box, but like, there's no book on like, here, do these 18 imaginative exercises. And when you feel Nirvana, when you've reached Nirvana, you've checked the box. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, man, I don't yeah. know how to do that. You know, yeah, it's hard. I mean, always the way I think about it is like number one and number three, uh, the technical and the imaginative, you kind of need to sit down at your instrument to deal with those things. I right. feel like, the conceptual and the spiritual, you can be out in the forest somewhere and deal with those. You know, to me, the conceptual is about listening 
to your favorite artists and, and kind of developing a concept on the way you want to play. You know, uh, I tell cats uh, kind of like, if you sit down with your journal and you are honest with yourself and just say, you know what, this person is the dopest, has the dopest Tom sound ever. But mm-hmm. you say, you know what, but his cymbal sound is whack. Like, I don't <laughs> want my cymbals to sound like that. And right. then guess what? You write that person down for your Tom sound. And then you write this person down for your cymbal sound. And then you write this person down for your bass drum sound. And then you're developing a vision board of kind of, of what you would sound like. And then as, you know, I, I feel that in life we're all filters. And as you're filtering out all this information of saying like, oh, this is dope, this is dope. I don't want that, I don't want that. You know, it's kind of like you, you um, uh, get a sheet of paper and you put a line down the middle and you write, you write on one side, this is what I want. Right on the other side, this is what I don't want. You know, mm-hmm. on one side, you say, I, I want to go to beyond the drums. I want to make people feel something. I don't want to be just a drummer. I don't want to uh, uh, make the groove uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so they, there are ways, I think, if you sit down and kind of uh, uh, go with what you love and look at things that you don't like and look at them in the way of, trying to see how would how can they add to what you do and i think sometimes we we get so much into only what we love that we don't understand like you know sometimes like in jazz people listen to popular music and like why are they listening to that it's like yo this this is doper or this but i'm just like well these people are playing to the people and they're trying to get to a certain thing with the people and you're just playing for yourself you know what i mean right sometimes that happens so you have to look at that other side and say, okay, well, what are people connecting with? Oh, this is what they're connecting with. So if I have this and I have this and I put these things together, oh, that could be my filter. That could be my story that I that I add and, and give people. So I think, again, just juxtaposing things um, and especially writing in a journal, you know, um, I call the first technical part, I call that the stack, you know, the Cicerone book, the the Jim Chapin book, the mm-hmm. Will Coxon, all of those books that you know you got to learn off, that's the stack. Yeah. But number two, number two through uh, four, those are your own stack. That's when you're creating a stack of journals that says, oh, this would be dope. Oh, I love how this cat plays on this tune. Okay, I should write a tune in that time signature using that instrumentation. Uh, or, so do you journal uh, every day in your practice session? Not every day. Or is it just like a sort of, you know, weekly, monthly, something like that, where you're just sort of like just jotting down notes? Just jotting down notes. A lot of it uh, comes from just inspiration of stuff that I listen to. And that's what I was trying to get to for number two is, it's you know, listening and analysis is really huge. You know, you can do that while you're just um, in the subway. You know, mm-hmm. for, for me, I do a lot of good listening in the subway because it's just I'm just there in that moment. And yeah. it's just... I'm tuning everything out and just kind of traveling and uh, just figuring out what you love is kind of a hard thing because especially now, you know, what's hot. Like everybody knows what's hot. It, uh, Terrence Blanchard had a thing for me. In, uh, he, when he told me he was, he, he said, uh, everybody knows, ev- you know that if you play like John Coltrane or Elvin Jones, you know that everybody's going to love it. But if you play like yourself, are you sure people are going to love that? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So it's, it takes the biggest courage to kind of play like yourself, which is mm-hmm. kind of the hardest thing to do. 
But if you have a technical basis and a conceptual basis of what you're doing that makes sense, then it'll come through. You know what I mean? So that's just kind of how I work at it and kind of try to journal and write things down and say, okay, this person did this, this person did this. Oh, okay. I can see myself fitting in the middle of that somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I like what you said about playing, playing, going your own way and doing your own thing and creating your own sound is that's the scary part. It's sort of life in general, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go get, I'm going to like go down the road that everyone else goes down because I know it works. That's the safe way. Or I'm going right. to, you know, right. I'm going to start a podcast about drumming and try to figure, you know, like that's sure. the hard way, sure. I guess. That's, yeah. But then, yeah. you know, but doing that through study, you know what I mean? Sure. Doing that through like really like honing in on certain things and certain aspects uh, of, of the instrument. Uh, learning the instrument and kind of knowing what you do well. Like, I know I don't play a lot of drums. Like, I know I can't. I just laugh. It's laughable when I look at some of my friends and they're just burning on the drums. I'm like, oh, man. Like, I wish I could do that. But I know what my strengths are as far as what I do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's important, too, where you get to a place where um, you can look at everybody's talents and say, wow, what you do is amazing. Not that I want to do that. You know what I right. mean? But sure. what you do is amazing. Like, I love that. Did Did you at some point try to be something that you weren't and then realize? Oh, you know, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, for me coming from Houston, that was that was the thing. It was like, you know, I grew up watching Chris Dave and Eric Harlan and um, Mark Simmons and Eric Porter and like all of these dudes who were like, they were the gods to me. Yeah. You know? So when I finally started working, the first uh Two of the first gigs that I had, one was the Crusaders uh, with Joe Sample and Wilter Felder. And the other one was Terrence Blanchard. And so, you know, Eric Harlan was with Terrence Blanchard at the time. And then Terrence asked me to join the band. So as soon as I joined the band, I learned everything. Well, before that, I tried to learn everything that Eric played <laughs> just because that was like, you know, he was one of my idols. That's like my big brother. Yeah. And uh, and so I came into Terrence's band, Terrence's band playing all of Eric's stuff. Because it fit, like I knew that if I set the music up this way, this will work, this will work, this will work. Right. And the gigs were terrible for so long. Really? <laughs> and yeah, I mean. Did you just feel like you weren't playing, like you were just sort of mimicking someone yeah, else? Yeah, I was I was mimicking. I was playing what I knew again. That was ego. That was like, oh, you can play like Eric, so do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wasn't really listening to the music in the moment. I was just doing things and going places that I knew Eric had went before. It's like, oh, okay, on this section in the B section, you can go to the bell of the ride because that's like the thing. Mm-hmm. But maybe like the the horn players were playing the B section in a different way this time, and I wasn't really listening to that. Right. And so um, one of the things that I'm very analytical, as you can hear, like <laughs> my mind was kind of like, okay. You know, it was sucking, and then Terrence was just like, "Listen, you know, you got to get it together." I was like, "Well, okay, what records do you want me to listen to to, uh, you know, to figure it out and figure how to relate?" He was like, "Well, you can't listen to any records. You have to listen to the music." And I was like, "Oh snap!" <laughs> you know what I mean? How old were you at the like, time? That was that was twenty three. Twenty three, young. Yeah, yeah. twenty three. He said, "Listen, man, you got to listen to the music. Like the music is telling you what it needs, but right now." You're listening so much to what you know and what you know, what you think works, that you're not really being of service and surrendering to the music. So 
that was a huge thing for me to just kind of to realize like all of the things that I learned, those are muscle memory things. Those aren't the music itself. The music is how you play with the band, you know? Right. So right. it took me a, and it's still taking me, I'm still there. You know, I don't think, I don't think you ever get there. That's one of the things I've seen from all of my great heroes. It's just like, I'm not there, but I'm headed there. You know what I mean? I'm right. trying to get to that place, you know? So little by little, I, I feel like I'm getting there. Um, but I, I love that feeling now that because what it is it's 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 a surrendering of the power of knowing what you're going to play mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's it's more about um what's re- what's relative at this moment in time right now which you can't like really control you know and mostly i'm talking about it in, in an improvisatory situation but i can see it happening in other situations where it's like people want to go for the same thing every night and maybe that's not what's happening right now you yeah know? yeah so what I would imagine it would drive you crazy just playing like a pop gig every night. Not actually, I would like to do that. Yeah, actually, I would I would like to do that. Um, um, because it's a different it's a different muscle. It's a different thing. It's, yeah, it's a different muscle, a different mindset, um, a different way of uh, achieving and getting a different message to the audience. You know, I'm I'm down with that. I just started out in this way. You know. Actually, when I was playing with the Crusaders, the crazy thing was when I first got out of Berkeley, I was playing with the Crusaders and they were like, play this groove and do this. And then um, Terrence was like, do what you want to do. So uh. I was playing those gigs simultaneously. And it really, it was, I mean, I was crazy at that moment because I didn't know what the hell to do on either <laughs> gig. Uh, so, but it was great though, because I had a, some insight into function, you know what I mean? Like function first. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's like that taught me so much about what it means to just sit down and play a groove, you know, and I right. love that just function first playing. Um, mm-hmm. And then Terrence told me about just being in the moment, you know, so I, I love both ways mm-hmm. and I'm open to all of them. Do you do you consider yourself a jazz drummer or do you just consider yourself an artist? I try to consider myself an artist. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing about drums is. <laughs> the drum set started as a jazz instrument. So <laughs> it's hard to like get around being a jazz drummer. If you really think about it, it's like, yeah, this instrument wouldn't exist without jazz. So essentially as you're learning how to play the instrument, if you go back and look at the history of the instrument, where it came from and the type of stuff we play on the instrument, mm-hmm. it started in jazz. You know what I mean? So yeah. I guess it, it began my love for the drum set um, kind of began in the jazz. Well, it began in the gospel realm, but, when I started really sitting down and, and learning the instrument in um, in a study type of way, it was in the realm of jazz. So I started there, but I feel like I'm open-minded and I want to play whatever comes to my mind. So I study the instrument in a way that is more about learning what the instrument can do and what feelings it can convey more than I do about thinking about a specific style. You know, a good way to tackle your technical hangups is by having experts address topics like your grip, independence, coordination, mobility, creativity, and the drum technique courses offered by the drum program at Musicians Institute will set you up on the right path to growth. You can learn more about Musicians Institute by going to mi.edu. 
Hey, if you haven't already, be sure to go over to GretschDrums.com. There's two amazing videos on there. One is Matt Chamberlain. He's doing an unboxing of his new kit, and then he plays a bit, which is cool. And then also, there's a Nathaniel Townsley, who I've had on the podcast, is a video of him playing his new kit as well. And if you haven't seen him play, just go watch the video. It's amazing. You can check it out and learn about all their great products by going to GretschDrums.com. Now more with Kendrick Scott. You were mentioning about serving the music, making the other people sound good, um, and and let setting your ego aside. And one of one of the things that popped into my head was there's a video of you playing with Lonnie Smith, and it seems like the whole time. I mean, he's Lonnie Smith; he's a legend, and yeah, he seemingly was opening up the stage to you and the guitar player. Forgive me, I forget the guitar player's name. Um, mm-hmm. But was sort of like he he could be. I mean, he's the center. He could be the center of attention and say, I'm Lonnie Smith. I'm going to really just do my thing. And it almost seemed like he was giving it to you guys. Like he was shining the light on you guys. And he was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to sit here and support what you guys are doing. And it just, it blew me away from like, I was watching that thinking that's why Lonnie Smith is so great. Yeah. You know, every great musician that I've played with, is that way and i just while you were thinking while you were saying that i was thinking in my mind i was like think about how exhausting it is to try to control everything too <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean it's like it's like no don't do that like yeah. i want you to do this and i want you to do that and so when i'm playing with him in the beginning in of the video you can hear him he goes have some fun yeah or says something yeah, like have I, some I fun or that. play like or i think he says have some fun or you know go ahead play you know whatever yeah and, I, and I've learned that, you know, relinquishing that control is actually you're getting so much power that way because you're trusting in people and you're trusting in their talents. Mm-hmm. And he's smiling the whole time because he's getting something that he wouldn't get from from other individuals that I'm giving him. That when another drummer sits down, that individual gives him something else to go by. Yeah. But if he's not really, truly engaged in the individual, then he could just play on top of us and be Lonnie Smith, which mm-hmm. is just killing but he wants to include everybody in what he's doing and he gets so much more information and to another deeper level of playing you know i always say like in order to go higher you have to go deeper you know Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that that binary thing too of just like pointing down and pointing upward at the same time and yeah somebody like lonnie smith is like one of he's the vanguard of that you know Mm -hmm. um and uh, also for me herbie hancock was was that dude too you know where Speaking of meditation, you know, we he would do, uh, uh, he's a Buddhist, and he would do meditation before we walked out on stage. And so I played, I think, 40, 44 shows. And then before every show, we would sit down and meditate. And we would be on such a vibration. By the time we got on stage, I just realized why Herbie was Herbie. Because <laughs> yeah. he lives in this, in this vi- vibration. And, uh, you know, I just remember sitting down and playing something and just being like, okay, I'm playing with Herbie. This is dope. But then I played something, and he played it back to me. And I said, wait, is he listening to me? This is <laughs> awkward right now. And, bro, he was listening and is throwing he, stuff is back. Is he reading at- my mind? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, was just kidding was- when I was thinking those bad thoughts about you. I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was incredible. It was incredible. And Lonnie's the same way. Charles Lloyd's the same way. Terrence Blanchard's the same way. Uh, so many of my uh, favorite 
musicians and and idols are like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I realized that relinquishing control is like the thing that can bring you to the next level. And when mm-hmm. I leave my band, that's what I try to do. Yeah, uh, is totally give everybody their space to do what they do best. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also in turn brings me to another level of things that I haven't thought about. Yeah, there's. There's something that I feel like I should say that when I started this podcast, and this conversation is actually making me really think about it. When I started this podcast, it, it was self-serving, and I mm. felt like I was listening a lot to respond, not listening to listen. And mm. I would have, and I would try to really get my points across, and I would, I wouldn't want to show sort of weaknesses, and I wouldn't like if someone was talking about something that maybe I wasn't familiar with or that I haven't mastered yet or, or, or haven't haven't even been on the path to doing yet, I would I would basically like fake it. I would be like, oh yeah, yeah, I do that too, or something like that. Subcon- like I wouldn't do it purposely. It was just mm-hmm. sort of this thing. And then when I started shifting everything and letting this podcast and myself serve as a conduit for my guests to get their message out and me just sort of being the guy that's facilitating that, the yeah. interviews have gotten better. The audience responses have gotten better. The downloads have gone up. The interviews have been more fulfilling for me personally. Mm. And yeah. it's a, and I don't think I've ever publicly admitted that you know, to the audience until right yeah. now, but well, that's an, that's another type of vulnerability, right? That's, that's so that's a whole thing that just the honesty of yeah, <laughs> even saying it and knowing it within yourself. But, you know, I always, I always tell cats like the best musicians are the best listeners because you have one mouth, but you have two ears. You know, if you really think about that, <laughs> that what that really means is to really get in and listen to someone and outside of music, you know, just becoming a better listener. It's, it's, pretty integral and then that vulnerability of of you listening and and kind of uh surrendering again to mm-hmm. to whatever's happening you know yeah. it's very important and i don't think we as musicians do it purposely like i think we're just i think we're just subconsciously wired to sort of be egotistical on some level and self mm. and wanting to be self-serving and you sort of have to fight that I did anyway to sort of have to fight mm-hmm. that to say no. I gotta, you know, what the secret to living is giving. So the, I think the more that oh. you're, the more that you're, you know, open to just, you know, giving it, other people the the limelight or serving them better, you're gonna get that back tenfold. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just hard yeah. to get there. Preach, preach, doc. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. I feel you. Um, that's a beautiful way to think about life. I think that's sure. yeah. I think that's I think that's true. Um, there, there's some things that you, that I saw that you did online. Um, and I, I'm going to call them soundscapes that you did. Um, Mm -hmm. like you did the one for Philando, you did, um, you did, there was some other ones with, um, with, uh, why can't I think of the karate guy? I have his book right here. Um, Oh, Bruce Lee with Bruce Lee. I can't, literally his, his book striking thoughts is sitting right here. Um, and so tell me about the inspiration behind those and, and, sort of the ideas and the approach that you have with them? Because I think they're really fascinating that you do them. Yeah, well, the Bruce Lee one was pretty much uh, kind of what we were talking about before. Actually, a friend of mine was, he was talking, we were talking, we were like wasted. (laughs) We were were like talking, and all of a sudden he's like, man, you know what? Have you ever checked out Bruce Lee's interview? And I'm just like, oh man, here we go. His last interview. Yeah. And uh, so then he starts talking about the interview and I start to sober up like, wait a minute, this sounds amazing. <laughs> so I went home immediately and like 
looked it up and I was like, wow, that's like my uh, like a life principle philosophy that I want to live by right now. You know, yeah. be water. Yep. Be water, my friend. And it's it's, uh, you know, if you think most of uh, our body is made out of water. So we are water. But the concept of being water of uh, of, again, surrender, uh, you think. If you put water into a cup, it becomes that cup. If you put it into um, uh, a, bottle, a bowl, be, it becomes yeah. the goal. Yeah, yeah, you put it in a bottle. It, you know, he said, he said water can flow. It can crash. It can be still. It can, you know, whatever. If you think about it, water can be frozen. It can, you know what I mean? So it have to, that adaptability is what we have to have in our lives. When you think about it, when, you, when we come to any situation, we have to be water. We have to live with a certain amount of compassion and empathy to each situation and figure out what is needed in that situation. So that's uh, why I immediately connected with that. And I just wrote some music to that, to mm -hmm. that feeling of, of what it would feel like to, to be water. And I was also kind of imagining what it would look like if he was like <laughs> doing some martial arts over it, you know, right. of course I got up on Saturday mornings and, and watched him. And uh, it's funny how it all came back full circle about, more uh about what his philosophy was on 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 living and on martial arts more than just like seeing him as like this cool dude when when i was younger he was just the cool dude that whooped everybody's ass right know? right <laughs> but now it's, i i saw like his philosophy on what it meant to join all of these um uh uh, to break all these barriers and style and everything to just become one person. And that's what I really connected with. He says styles are crystallizations. And, but the, the true, um, true art is living. You know what I mean? True art mm -hmm. is living and, and joining together. And so the way he lived his life and the way he did his martial arts, they were joining together all type of cultures and all type of uh, practices. And mm -hmm. that's what I want to do in my music and in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's how that one got started. Um, the second one is, uh, you know, really heavy for me. I wrote a piece about Philando Castile. And um, um, that's, you know, you know, uh, police violence is, is something that's really heavy, you mm -hmm. know, in our culture right now. And there's so many systemic things that are happening um, to people of color that haven't been addressed. Sure. And uh, I think it starts with this, uh, those things. And then it. This, they're things that are embedded, whether we uh, recognize them or not. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those things are embedded in people's brains and we live by that. And so I just wanted to speak to that um, and, and use, uh, uh, use Diamond's, um, her video, and uh, play over that and, and see what kind of emotions I could uh, convey with, with using that and and getting to getting people to talk about what it means um, for someone to get killed <laughs> in front of their girlfriend and her little girl, you know, right. um, was it justified? Wasn't it, uh, you know, wasn't it justified or, or anything? What, what is the value of life? Mm -hmm. And uh, so with, with that piece, it was, I just wanted to speak on the value of life period. You know, mm -hmm. what does it mean? And the challenges the officer faced, even right. even uh, in being in that situation, and now that the now that the full video has come out, that's even scarier. You know what I mean? Because I, I I lived with you know just uh, watching Diamond's video, and then the officer's video came out, and it was it's pretty damning for me. It, yeah, but, it's um, bad. 
it's it's really bad. So you know, I, I I really believe, like I said, that music has a purpose. That that we are instruments. Uh, that we have to talk about change. The change just doesn't happen just by us thinking about it. We mm -hmm. have to actually talk about it. And so I just wanted to use the platform that I had to at least create the discussion mm -hmm. of talking about something really deep and systemic in our in our society. You know, yeah. I have like all of these spiritual tones in my music. Um, and I want to be uplifting always, but uh, we got to talk about some dark things too. Of course, and that I mean the video that the the video that you put on YouTube, it's it's deep, man. Like I watched it three times, you know, and it's 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 powerful, it's moving, it's it's thought provoking, uh, and um, it's but it's you. dark though, you know, and and but I think it's like, <laughs> but 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 the topic is too, and I think and I agree with you that you know you it, everything can't be milk and honey you know like we have to you can't talk about you can't talk about making these things better without talking about them so we can't just sweep sure. these things under the rug anymore of of sort of what's going on and without getting into a, a political debate you know we can't sweep things under the rug what's going on in this country anymore so and sure. i i agree with you so i applaud you for for putting that out there and at least like you said starting the conversation and 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 putting something out there that's both addressing the problem, but also uplifting at the same time. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was when I looked at Max Roach, you know, he's one of my favorites and that's, you know, we resist and so many other things that Max Roach put out. Uh, those are like, he influenced me so much to be of, of the now, you know what I mean? Right. And I think that's something that's very important that we're just not talking about, uh, just, uh, turning up all the time <laughs> you right, know what i mean right. it's like some 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 things are like really cool but when you think about what's happening around all of that it's some really dark stuff that persists from many years ago from the beginnings of this country and uh they've just changed their names mm -hmm. you know uh so we have to be have to be aware man have to be folk you know mm -hmm. and the the history of our country is that artists and musicians have been on the forefront of a lot of these fights and i think that we still have to do that so it's not about you know there's there, how many how many musicians uh whether they be black white puerto rican hate it doesn't matter but they've been they've been on the forefront of fighting for change they've been on the forefront of of letting the people's voice be heard and you know it's not all about youtube likes and and you know shares on facebook it's about it's it's about getting messages out there whether it was the vietnam war or whether it was this or whether it was that of saying hey listen we're not going to stand for this and we as musicians have a voice and we're going to help other people share their voice and i i think that we're getting we're we're getting out of that that uh that culture now a bit do you do you think so of course no i definitely feel that way that's that's um one of the things that um i was thinking about in in doing the piece because actually the, i started the piece because of uh sensory percussion mm -hmm. uh, um so i was dealing with that and he asked me to do to do a solo set and i was like like i told you like i don't really deal with drums like that so i was <laughs> like well, what the heck? What the hell am I going to play for solo drums? You know what I mean? So right. I was like, well, instead of thinking of sensory percussion in the way of like, ooh, let me make some dope sounds, I was like, oh, how can I make a serious statement with the message? And then mm -hmm. so, you know, I that 
um, Facebook Live thing had been stuck in my mind for some time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to use that. And I felt that it was more important to talk about that than it was for me to actually play a good drum solo. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just feel like if if we create music and, and live our lives with a purpose, then we'll actually get closer together. You know what I mean? Um, if we um, uh, just think about the power that we have, you know, if, if you think about music, music, is, that's why I think music is so crazy. Like you can record a CD and it can end up in Riga, Latvia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can end up in Johannesburg. It can end up in so many places that you don't even know it's ending up. And those messages are, are being put out there in the world and somebody's going to relate to that. And hopefully, you know, I got to play with Hugh Masekela. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's That was like huge for me because I'm like, this is one of the people that, you know, helped apartheid, <laughs> you know, uh, break down. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. like, it's, it's amazing, you know, uh, the power of music in so many different ways. And I think the power for change, you know, we have to use it as a weapon, like Fela said, you know, mm-hmm. music as a weapon. Like that's very important that we also use it that way, a weapon for change. I agree 100%. That's, I think that's our job as musicians, as artists to, to use our artistry to do more than just, you know, like I said, collect likes on, on Facebook and on Instagram, you know? Sure. So. Sure. Uh, so what? Let's talk about uh, what you have going on now, um, uh, touring wise, playing live. Where people can catch you, where people can connect with you if they want to study with you. Sure. Um, right now, well, good news. I just got a grant from Chamber Music of America and the Doris Duke Foundation. To uh, it's a new works grant, so it's just to write music. Awesome. So I just received that, and so I'm working on Congrats. that as well as. Uh, uh, um, making a new record for Blue Note Records. Uh, our last record uh, from my band Oracle was called We Are The Drum mm-hmm. on Blue Note Records, and we are really happy and proud about that. And we're just looking to do the next installment uh, sometime uh, soon, the later this year. Um, other than that, I've been playing with um, Charles Lloyd, Kurt Elling, and uh, did a lot of touring with Gerald Clayton. Uh, we just did a, a month tour. We went all in the States and we went to Asia and everything um tomorrow i'm going to mexico with um john clayton uh gerald's father and so good things are happening i'm doing a lot of teaching this year i'm going to start teaching at manhattan school of music awesome Uh, i'll be teaching uh uh, lessons there and i'm doing a lot of the jazz camps i'll be at um let's see stanford jazz camp i'll be at um uh port townsend centrum jazz camp and there's a new jazz camp in poland Oh man, I can't remember the name right now. I'll uh, but uh, yeah. If you just send me the link, and I can so for every podcast, there's show notes, so I can put links to all the stuff that you're mentioning. So just send sure. me a link to that. I'll put it on there as well, so that you know that way people can find it because there's listeners sure. all over the world for for the podcast too. So yeah, that's right, that's right. So um, yeah, good stuff is good stuff is coming down the pike, and I'm sure I'm forgetting something. My manager would be like, "Why didn't you talk about this?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't so if um, so if people want to study with you privately, do they have to go through Manhattan School of Music. Or are you teaching there, and do you teach privately in Harlem? I, yeah, I teach privately in Harlem. They can okay. just if they go to my website kendrickscott.com or just email me at kendrick at kendrickscott.com. Okay, they can. I'll gladly you know um, share what I know. Good deal. Yeah. 
Speaking of yeah, what you sure. know, I got one question for you. Snare uh-huh. sound, man. How? What is up with your snare sound? It sounds amazing. Wow. Thank you. Well, I'm pretty weird about like my drum tuning. Uh-huh. So for snare drums, it's always between, um, let me see, an A or an A, an A, a uh, well, actually, between B flat and A, I kind of co- go back and forth between those things. And then each of my toms, I have pitches there too. But snare drum is mostly about tuning, for me, it's about tuning the bottom head to where it's almost popping, but not. I was going to say, it sounds cranked. Right. But in not, not in a way that it's uneven, though. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Some In some ways, the two lugs nearest the snares themselves are a little tighter than the rest, but mostly it's the even tuning. Um, and then, so I tune the bottom for pitch and the top for feel. So once I get the um, the bottom to a place where I think it can it's going to work, then I tune, I try to tune the snare to an A and see what it feels like. And then if I want it higher, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go up higher. Mm-hmm. But pretty much the way I feel about like tuning drums for me is like getting a certain comfortability with the instrument, making it feel like it's my own. Right. And some people aren't like that. You know, I have friends that tune where it's just like, I want to tune the drums so they don't ring into each other. You know what I mean? Like, right. So it doesn't matter what pitch it is. I just want it to be a thud and like not ring. You right. know, so I have friends that tune like, as high as the drum will go, you know, almost no resonance. And then some friends that tune so low, you'd be like, wow, I can't even like <laughs> play on this drum. It's so low. So I just snare wise, I just try to get it to an A between the A and the B flat. And uh, just make sure for me, I'm always looking for a snare drum that has a very dry center. Mm-hmm. And as you leave that center, it starts to get really, really wet on the, in the edges. Right. And so just um, manipulating that, in itself is like really like when i feel like that's when you have like a really beautiful drum right when you feel that i just noticed so it a- watching all these videos of you and like i mean the the drums all the drums all sound but like every time i was like man that's there and it doesn't like you're playing all different types of snares and everything but they all sound great man so i had to thank ask you so much man. <laughs> thank you thank you thank later you. today i'm gonna that. be like I'm going to be like, all right, this is the Kendrick Scott tune. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to see all these videos of me playing now. You're going to be like, man, that guy's there sounds exactly like mine. Yeah, I won't man. do. I won't do that to you. <laughs> man, we all take it from somebody. <laughs> yeah, we uh, well, Kendrick, I want to I want to thank you for one taking the time to chat with me on a holiday of uh, you know if nothing else, but also for the great music you're putting out there, the great message of positivity that you're putting out there, and everything that you do for for this drumming community. Man, I do appreciate you, and I appreciate you being part of this podcast. It really means a lot to me. Thank you, and the same to you, man. What you do here is is so important, and I. I appreciate you because I get up and listen to your podcast <laughs> and I get my my brain expanded every time I've listened to the podcast. So thank you uh, for doing what you do and thanks for having me. Of course, man. Thank you again and uh, hopefully we can we can hang soon in person. For sure. Definitely. All right. I'll All right, talk bro. to you soon. So that was the one and only Kendrick Scott. I hope you dug it. And for all the links to the show notes, to everything that we talk about, all of that good stuff, you can go over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 284. Also, be sure to follow Drummers Resource on Instagram and Facebook at Drummers Resource and on Twitter at Drummers R Source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.